everybody, and welcome to Drumroll. Yes, it's a time again for the 2022 True Stories of Tinseltown Spooktacular. Yes, I'm doing that again. I have to. I'm compelled. No, I did it last week. I do it every year and I don't have wine. <laughs> it's, hey, there you go. I'm like a baby. I got into that. And the <clears throat> voice on the other end is the dear Stone Wallace, who has been on before. And I'm so thrilled you're doing the spooktacular with me again, because Stone did it with me last year. And I it was I really had so much fun, Stone. So thank you so much. It's Halloween again, <laughs> and the children of the night, oh, the music they make, <laughs> and the spider is spinning his web for the unwary fly, <laughs> for the blood is the life, Grace. <laughs> nice to be back with you again for another year. I can't believe it's been a year since we last enjoyed our Halloween spooktacular. I know. It seems like it went by fast. And then again, it doesn't. It's weird. I don't know how to explain it. Other things like it's zoomed. But for some reason, you know, like I get up so early and it feels like it was yesterday because I get up so early and I'm like, did I do that this morning or was that yesterday? So it's odd a time, but it did go by and we had lots of fun. And thank you so much. I've lived for over 2,000 years, but time goes by too fast. Yeah, I guess, but doesn't it sometimes go too slow? Sometimes death is not the worst thing in life, he said. So maybe Well, sometimes... we will meet soon. I've chartered a boat to take us to New York. You've got we will your... be leaving tomorrow evening. <laughs> I think your daughter lives in New York. Your, your daughter of Dracula. I believe she lives here. So I, I come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so make sure you have a lot of dirt from your. There you go. Well, not the cornball. We have uh, we have some wonderful films to talk about and films that have influenced us and and just some films that uh, I fun. think are relevant to the season. Right and fun because we're not going to do your typical movies as you'll see. We are going to do some typical movies, but we're going to put in some that we've never talked about before. So Yes, and then, you know, the thing about them are, you know, that they just they just have something about them, whether or not they're popular films, critically acclaimed films, but something that's touched us or that we feel, you know, made a mark on, on the genre during the decades. Yeah, and some are just, the one I'm going to do is very fun. So, um, all right, Stone, why don't you start, please? Well, I guess we'll start in the 1920s, and of course there are a number of films that uh, came out at that time. You have one. I'll wait for you to mention that one. I'll come a little bit later and mention, of course, one of the classics of uh, early silent cinema with the possibly the greatest actor of silent cinema, Lon Chaney, The Phantom of the Opera, a film which in its day must have terrified audiences with the famous unmasking scene that uh, audience, you, you, you kind of wonder at that time, audiences weren't as jaded as they are today. This was something new and horrifying to them. And when Mary Philbin tears off that mask and the Phantom's reaction, it had to be the ultimate showstopper in those days. And Cheney's makeup, of course, as we know, as, as another horrific parts he played, was quite a painful procedure and uh, one that uh, has become totally legendary. 
Yeah, the movie, James Cagney starring in it, right? The Man with a Thousand Faces, is that the name of the movie? That was a yeah. That was uh, an interesting film because uh, James Cagney looked nothing at all no. <laughs> on Cheney, and in fact was many years older than Lon Cheney was when Lon Cheney passed away at forty eight back in uh, nineteen thirty. But uh, and then of course the makeup they tried to do the best they could, but they were uh, applied by uh, Bud Westmore's team at Universal International, and uh, effective, but certainly not anywhere near the legendary makeup that was used in the original films, The Phantom, and of course The Hunchback. Yes, he was wonderful in those. And um, is that the second one you want to talk about, The Hunchback of Notre Dame? In the twenties, did you pick two or just one? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Um, did you pick two films or just one? No, I, 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 no, I didn't pick two films. I, uh, I did pick two films, but the other one was The Unknown, another uh, great film yeah. by, by Lon Chaney, <laughs> directed by Todd Browning, right. with the circus background, and another... I, you know, it's interesting to consider, is that really a horror film? I don't know. It's horrific, but it's not a horror film. It's actually quite a it's a, a quite a tragic love story when you think about it, and an early role for Joan Crawford, who played the uh, woman who uh, the clown or pardon me the uh, armless wonder Alonzo, played by Lon Chaney, uh, has the love affair for. Of course, he's not. Well, I don't want to say too much about the film, but he makes the ultimate sacrifice to achieve her chilling, love and chilling. backfires on her. Right totally backfires on the poor guy. And um, it, it's really a good film and creepy. It is a horror movie because imagine someone doing the le- going to the lengths he went to to have Joan Crawford as his babe. So he went to humongo lengths. What's interesting about the film is it's like less than an hour, yet it packs a lot of impact into that hour. I remember because... Oh, silent films are my favorite genre. I do enjoy some of them. Some are just like schmaltzo waltzos, but um, there are some real gems. And in the horror genre, I'm going to recommend this one, The Phantom Carriage. And that was, listen to this, 1921, 101 years later. I'm talking about that film. And people, it, it gets wonderful reviews. It's kind of long, and um, it's just creepy. They do double exposure. For the time, it was a really good, well, it still is. I would still recommend it. You could probably find it on YouTube. I know TCM played it, so it may be on TCM On Demand if you have it. And maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, but I think it's pretty creepy. It's a very creepy film, and it's interesting when you think about all the special effects they use today to do all sorts of horrific things on screen. Like you mentioned, the double exposure, they use effects that are very simplistic, but very effective to this day. Much more Unless so. you're a dated film goer, you're right. still going to be affected by the, by the uh, uh, technology they use, the cinematography in that. So much more real than the stupid CGI crap. I hate it. I hate when they do that. And this, to me, that's what I love about it is it's just really atmospheric, it's creepy, and it's basically a tale of someone who's lived a crappy life, a selfish life. On New Year's Eve, the last person who dies on New Year's Eve, who is not a good person, gets to ride the phantom carriage for a year, which carries death. And um, his friend's driving this this uh, carriage, and he takes him back throughout his life, and we see 
what he did, and he was not a nice guy. But it's also a tale of redemption as well. So it always it reminded me of uh, Christmas Carol, but not you know not so nice, not, not so cheery ending. <laughs> yeah, it has it, but it it's hopeful and um, but it's creepy and thinking that's over a hundred and one years old. My goodness. You know what's interesting, Grace, is the fact I think a lot of those early films, they, 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 the word to use is creepy through, I don't know if it's the black and white, the silence, the cinematography, whatever, whatever techniques they used, they made them creepy. And to this day, again, if you're not a jaded film goer, you can watch a film like that or Nosferatu or, you know, any of those early Sonic Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and they still can send a bit of a chill up your bone, can't they? They can. Dr. Caligari was one you were mentioned as well. And, um, Conrad, I don't know how you say his last name. Conrad Veit? Veit? I don't know. Sorry, Conrad. I know you're in. I say Veit, but I'm not sure. I think it's Veit, too. But he played the guy in that. I think, but you know him from playing, everybody would know him from playing Nazis. And he died very young, but he was a good actor. And that is a creepy film, big time. Well, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before in a former uh, uh podcast we did, but I still look upon him as being the very first horror star, because he did a lot of movies prior to Lon Chaney's uh, entrance uh, into, the, into the genre, and um, of course many of them were German films and that, but his resume is quite filled with a lot of those um, you know, eerie pictures like uh, uh, of course Caligari, Waxworks, The Hands of Warlock, uh, so, and many others. So I, w- I still refer to him as the first true horror star of cinema. Go Conrad. But like I said, he then became really, he was a perfect Nazi. He was fabulous. Or a bad guy. He was a bad guy. He didn't really play heroes. And he died very, I think he was maybe 40-ish when he died. 40. He looked he older. Dropped, he dropped dead on a golf course. Did he? What a way to go. Because he, uh, despite being one of the best actors to, you know, play hateful Nazis like uh, Strasser and Casablanca, he hated the Nazis. Uh, you know, that was something he despised. Yet he was very effective in playing those parts. He was wonderful. I mean, you really couldn't stand him. And like I said, he did do a film that's not, um, it's not a spectacular film, but uh, A Woman's Face. He's in there and he with Joan Crawford. And I think she did a good job in this, but check that out too. I'm not going to go into it because we're on our spook. Do you have another film from the 20s you want to mention? Um, Just Nosferatu, which I've mentioned many times. It's 100 years old this year. Happy birthday, Max Scheck, (laughs) Count Orlov, all the things. Happy birthday, but truly creepy. And um, if you've never seen it, see it. It's great. Okay, 30s. Go stone. The 1930s. Okay, my choice is I have two here. Uh, my first is the uh, 1931 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with the incredible, incredible Frederick March huh. portraying two roles that you would almost swear were played by different actors. His Dr. Jekyll is so 100% different from his Mr. Hyde. I watched that film endlessly and I say, I swear there has to be a different actor playing Hyde because he just completely is is, is yeah, yeah. 
a 180 difference in character. It's an amazing, amazing performance. The makeup, of course, is incredible, and the techniques that the director, uh, Ruben Mouloulian, used uh, to make the shading on the faces, uh, the face as he's making his first transformation. It's just, it's just an amazing film, and definitely, to me anyway, the absolute ultimate version of that famous I, story. It's so much better. To, than Spencer Tracy's. This is so good. And he also, didn't he win a Best Actor Oscar for this? In general? Yes, he shared the uh, Best Ask Actor Oscar with uh, uh, Wallace Beery for The Champ. He was wonderful. And uh, I yeah, love this a, film. It was a double win that year. Well, he deserved it. Definitely. It was just, I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing film, an amazing performance. It's totally pre-code. <laughs> As yeah, you know, I it's amazing. By that, of course. They have uh, Marion. It's, it's a wonderful film. It is. And they have, uh, what's her name? Mar- <laughs> she wrote crap. Marion. Miriam Hopkins. Miriam Hopkins as the hooker, the, the, um, the prostitute, Ivy. Yeah, champagne Ivy. Champagne <laughs> Ivy. And yeah. it's just amazing. And it's so funny because it talks about human natures. And it's sort of like the repressed society where he can't get married and, and he can't have sex with the woman he loves. And it's all about this whole thing where mm. it becomes a... It, it's just fascinating, I think, and you don't want to think too much about it. But I say far superior to any as well. John Barrymore, I didn't like it. Like the other thing with the film that's very interesting is when how he progressively becomes more horrific each time he transforms. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he starts off looking, you know, simian, but by the end, he's a, he's a complete monster, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it makes you wonder had his career as a gone on. I mean, how would he have ended up? I mean, he was pretty gruesome at the end there, but uh, how much further could that have gone? It was great, and I love the guy who plays his butler. I know he's done so many films, I don't know his name, but he's so devoted to Norton. He's fabulous, you know. I I just, I love the whole film, and it's great, and he, I love Frederick March as an actor anyway, but he is so so good in this. Highly Absolutely. great choice. Uh, Thumbs it's up. It's an amazing performance. Like I say, it, it's hard to believe it's the same actor playing both roles. He's wonderful. Do you have a numero dos? Pardon me? Do you have a number two? Yes, I do. Mark of the Vampire. Oh, that's and this a is an interesting film because it it's the remake of Todd Browning's earlier Lon Chaney movie, London After Midnight, which is, of course, a lost film. And the collectors have been trying to find this a print of that movie forever. Mark of the Vampire is, of course, the sound version or sound remake, which uh, is an interesting movie in that Dale Lugosi, of course, plays his uh, second film vampire, Count Mora. And his daughter, Luna, played by Carol Borland. I thought that uh, she was supposed to be his babe. So that's his daughter? That's that's, uh, his daughter, apparently. Well, that's how the characters are portrayed. Of course, there's the twist ending where you find out is quite a little bit different, I believe. Yeah, it's a good one. And, and and the sad thing about that movie is that it's, it, I shouldn't say sad, but disappointing to a lot of people, is that they build it up as such a great horror film. The opening is incredible. You speak about creepy scenes in movies. The opening of that film is one of the creepiest, I think, you know, in early cinema, early sound cinema. And then it kind of turns into a murder mystery. And then you have the vampires involved in everything. And it gets very convoluted. I won't go into that. They have that twist ending, um, which apparently uh, Bela and uh, Carol Borland um, 
weren't happy about it. I didn't like it either, frankly. I didn't like the twist. It was cute. They offered an alternate ending, which would have really worked well because it would have given the movie a double twist. And I don't want to, I'd like to give it away, but I won't because if I do that, I have to give away the real ending. But it was a double twist that I think would have really been a a good kicker ending to that uh, movie. Yeah, I just didn't like the twist at the end. I thought it could have been more. And Lionel Atwell was in this, wasn't he? Who might love. Lionel Atwell, yeah, he was the inspector in that one. He's done uh, so many I, films. One of the great actors of the of the 30s. Yeah, and a horror genre. He was a little devil. Uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> he allegedly has or, had orgies. He had a Christmas orgy. Get down with you, some bad <laughs> buddy. And, um, yeah, and so they kind of... He didn't get roles that he perhaps he might have gotten otherwise, but he did work so much, and I really, really like his work a lot. Well, up until he had the uh, the controversy, uh, he, he did a lot of great films and played a lot of you know he was he was in Captain Blood, you know he did a lot of good films, uh, but once that situation happened, he pretty much became relegated <clears throat> to uh, playing small parts at Universal, which he said basically was what saved him. But uh, they weren't the, the, the kind of film roles he enjoyed during the 30s, you know, when he was uh, actually on the cusp of being a, another horror star with Dr. X and Mystery of the Wax Museum and the Vampire Bat, Mark of the Vampires. So. But uh, he kind of escaped that for a while, then he kind of went back into it, but in a much, much smaller way. Yeah, but I really enjoyed his work. I thought he was really good. And, yeah, um, I enjoy him. He's a fine actor. He well, was a fine actor. He was. So what, are, what are your choices for the 30s? The Black Cat. I know you have an, you and, have a, you, and have a, you and I have discussed this before. That's Bella and Boris's. Is this his second film together? No, that was the first. Really? The first. I didn't know that. Yeah. I learned something new. Uh, but no, that it, was the first film. It was a great film. Really good and creepy. The atmosphere, the, you know, it just kind of, uh, the girl, the lady's Cupid doll face a little bit, those little, you know how they had those little teeny weeny lips painted on stuff, that kind of, and David Manners was in that as well, right? Yeah, where well, yeah, <laughs> the ultimate useless hero in Universal movies. Yes, he was terrible. But no offense against him as an actor, but I mean, I can understand why later in his career he didn't want to talk too much about those films he made for the horror movies because his hero was never, uh, you know, one who you could actually depend on. Right, he was kind of like a oof. <laughs> you want to see a good one though? Watch Crooner. It's not. It is kind of a horror film, but he's really good in it as his egomaniac, and he's. He looks at himself in the mirror while he's singing, and it's so funny. But, you know, he was in The Mummy, all that other stuff. But um, I like that film. Uh, I do. I like that film. I think it's good. And um, it, it's about Bella, and he had a huge history. Bella's wife was taken away by Boris, and he's, you know, it's really deco, very large kind of creepy place with, of course, a creepy cellar, because they all have those if you have to have a horror film. And he's, a, and he's like the high priest of Satan worshippers, Boris. And it is creepy twist turns ew. I highly recommend. What do you think, Stone? 
Well, it's creepy, plus it's quite sadistic. Yes. It deals, it deals in some areas I'm very surprised got through the censor. Necrophilia, that, that final re- revenge scene that uh, is uh, portrayed upon Karloff through the vengeful Lugosi, who's pretty much gone insane by that point. Um, and it, all within about 60 minutes, you've got a lot of stuff going on in that film. And it's really unfortunate because the director, Edgar Almer, should have gone on further in as, as a horror director, of course, he ended up directing much low-budget films like uh, Detour and that later on in his career. But it's, it's got to be one of the most, um, I don't know what you call it, perverse films of the 30s, whatever, but it's it's got all the elements uh, for, a, for a, a classic horror movie, that's for sure. It really and does. the performances between Karloff and Lugosi, there you go right off the bat, you see, you know, they, they played so well off each other. They really did, and, you know, they had many many collaborations and they really I didn't I really didn't know that I thank you for telling me that one that's a good one um I think I might switch I was going to talk about the old dark house and that's Boris is in that and they say yes it's Karloff they don't even call him Boris Karloff they call him <laughs> Karloff and uh he's really good in that but I love the whole atmosphere of it again and it's funny too and that woman who's chowing down at the dinner table the sister who lives there with no teeth and she's just like gumming her two feet her food (laughs) she's great and um the mother the father up there you know who's like woman you know he's got all these whiskers and i don't know it's it's just a funny kind of creepy atmospheric film and about kind of insane people weird families and and being trapped like rats because there's floods and they have a lot of good actors in that film they had um melvin douglas who i love but you know, this was in his pip pip cheerio and all that sort of rot face. You know, he was playing English dudes, and I just really like Melvin Douglas. I have a film later on that we're going to talk about with Melvin Douglas being in it. But it's a fun flick. It's also a quickie, but I like it. What do you think, Stony? Well, yeah, they actually use that as a, as a follow up to Frankenstein with Karloff, and uh, they. Again, played on the fact he was going to be under makeup and it was going to be a mute character. But uh, again, that was he was he was top build of the film that like you say mentioned actors such as Raymond Massey, Melvin Douglas, Charles Lawton, Gloria Stewart, is uh, Ernest Thesiger, a wonderful cast in that film. Again, a film based more on atmosphere, I think, than on actual you know yeah. visceral scares or anything right. like that. But uh, it's 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 um it's uh yeah I would say it's one of the classics of the thirties. It's a good 30s. watch, fun to watch, and I love the I love that kind of dark and stormy night atmosphere. It's great. It's, I think it's yeah. Really and fun. they did the remake. Some well, it wasn't even really a remake, but it was a William Castle film that was kind of he's the title, but it was a pretty pretty sad movie actually in comparison. Yeah. Some movies you just can't remake, and very rarely does it improve upon the the first one, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it was a, it, it was a, I, 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 you know, a good film, a good film for the time. Again, it gave Karloff uh, again more recognition, but again, uh, for the makeup aspect, you know, they like to play up the uh, Karloff was this, if, you know, the Frankenstein creature, and they, you know, would make him up again for this part. Right, and it was good. And what I loved is like always in these movies, Melvin Douglas. I don't know who the woman is. I can't think of her. 
who plays like the Tootsie, who hangs out with Charles Lawton, who gives that laugh like Henry VIII. Ho, 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 ho. You know, the Henry VIII laugh that he does. But he does that in a lot of his films, and he's in there. And, um, What's interesting also, that's another film that shows uh, director James Whale's eccentricities. Yes, you know he was very good at doing those kind of films. Uh, even the Invisible Man again, you had the ex, and of course Bride of Frankenstein. You know he had those little eccentricities he put into his productions. Yeah, I happen to you know we didn't talk about Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Dracula because we always do, and of course that that was really huge time horror for that time, and I loved it. Of course I love that stuff, but we're trying to mention things that we don't um, mention usually. These aren't really mentioned. We're trying to re-mention them. And one more one I wanted to talk about just briefly, really quickie, quickie, quickie 30s one, is uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. I was oh, going to yes. switch that from Old Dark House. I wanted to do Dr. Moreau because that's really, ew. What is, and, and Bella's in that. He's like the head yeah, mismatched dude. We are not, we are men, we are not animals, we do not eat meat, right? <laughs> it's just... Actually, actually, the film is Island of Lost Souls. Oh, that's it's it. based on the book, The Island of Dr. Moreau yes, by H.G. Wells. I'm sorry, Wells. you're correct. They, <laughs> they later did that, they did The Island of Dr. Moreau, right? They did two, re, two uh, remakes of them. But it's really a creepy film. What was she named? The Leopard Lady? That was uh, Kathleen Burke. Apparently, they did uh, a huge search for an actress to play that part, similar to what they did later on with Gone with the Wind and trying to find an actress to play Scarlett O'Hara. And uh, I, I think that's probably the only film she did, or if she did others, they certainly didn't have the same matchup as she had in, uh, in Lost Souls. But uh, that's another film from the 30s that I, I suppose it must have been pre-code. I'm sure it must have been. It was pre-code, that, yeah. Uh, goes into uh, a lot of... Uh, Plot points there that uh, you know you wouldn't you wouldn't think would be part of the 1930s movie scene, no. including that horrific ending when oh, the man, uh, is that good? turned against Doctor Moreau played the by animals, right? <laughs> animals, yeah, wonderfully played by Charles Lawton. Oh, that was amazing! He did a really good job in that film, and that ending, those screams, the whole nine—that was so. The thing about that ending is, you know, something is happening to them, but they never really tell you what, but you pretty much yeah, imagine, you the, yes. or actually pretty much in your mind, know what they're doing to them. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's, uh, it's, it's one of the most gruesome endings, I think, of the 1930s. And you don't have to show it. That's what I really like. You can just imagine what's going on. And that, is, to me, is much more effective than showing him being tortured, whatever they're doing. Yeah, I think in so. That's why yeah. so many of these 30s films, even though they suggested a lot, uh, they were a lot more frightening in what they you know, were uh, suggesting than actually seeing. Even in The Black Cat, again, at the ending, when you know what Lugosi, well, Lugosi pretty much tells you what he's going to do to the Carlos character, you don't see it, but uh, you can imagine how horrible that must have been. Yes, and it, it it's just a really good film. So all of these I highly, highly recommend. Okay, so let's go to the 40s. Go uh, on, Stone. I had a film here that I was going to mention, but I think I'm going to transfer it to The Wolfman, because I think The Wolfman was probably the last of that era from Universal that created a, uh, an iconic character, right. a tragic character. Yeah. And that's an interesting point I was going to bring up about some of these early Universal movie monsters. 
they, they, they wanted to die. Even Dracula, if you listen to the 1931 version, there's a scene there where Bela Lugosi says, to die, to be really dead, that must be glorious. So in other words, he's saying at that point, he's cursed to live this life, but it does, it's not really what he wants. He would prefer to be gone. And if you listen to the Frankenstein monster in The Bride of Frankenstein, he's talking to Ernest Fethiger at one point, and he says, hey, love, dead, hate, living. And then you go into The Wolfman, and pretty much throughout the whole series of Wolfman films, he's seeking death. And he's a torture. So these are soul. monsters that are, mm-hmm. you know, not enjoying being monsters, are they? No, and like I always said about Frankenstein's monster, the monster is a man who took him from different body parts. Of course, oh, the Igor bit. Igor's poor Igor's get such a bad rap, right? It's Igor, Igor, Igor. All of the crazy assistants are always Igor. Although I watched Mystery of the Wax Museum, and the guy, I think the guy's name is Doctor Igor or Mystery. Igor, or one of those things, but poor Igor's, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, yes, I think the, I was going to mention the Wolfman as well, but um, torture, tortured beings, they are not, you know, they don't want this. They didn't ask for it. Who bit, exactly. But who bit Dracula, I wonder? Do we ever know? But it makes you wonder, even going back, like Dracula, when he makes that line about, you know, to be really dead must be glorious. You don't know what his background is based on uh, the movie in 1931. Like, who was he? What what turned him into this undead creature that lives forever, you know? And, uh, I mean, with the Frankenstein monster, yeah, you can understand that because he didn't ask to be born. He, he's been uh, tortured and humiliated and, you know, chased and everything, you know, during his brief existence. So, yeah, that's what he would say, you know, love, dead, hate, living. And the Wolfman, of course, you know, when you watch that film in the beginning, Larry Talbot, so he's a jolly kind of a guy. He's happy, you know, he's coming back to his ancestral home to be with his father. He meets uh, Evelyn Ankers, you know, having, could be a relationship going there. Maybe you never find out for sure because she's already involved with somebody. Patrick but Knowles, right? He gets bitten by a werewolf in a heroic act, and the curse is put upon him. And yeah, it's it's it's, it's a very tra- probably probably the most tragic of the classic movie monsters. I agree. To question. me, I, that's why I like Lon Chaney's performance in that because he really is touching, and he hates it, and he's tortured. And of course, they have wonderful people. They have, like I said, Patrick Knowles, but more importantly, Claude Rains. Um, who else do they have there that have come and investigate? They just have a really good cast. Oh, if, you know, for a B movie, uh, if, if you want, I, see Universal shortly after The Wolfman really moved into the B movie thing. You know, with the sequels, with uh, Ghost of Frankenstein, the Mummy series, uh, and, uh, Monster Rallies, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula. But that was, yeah, you, you got Claude Rains, you got Bale Lugosi, you got uh, uh, Ralph Bellamy, I mean, uh, Warren William, a terrific cast. That's it, Warren William. That's what I was trying to think of. I adore Warren William. He was, they're all, they were so good in that. And, of course, the gypsy mama. <laughs> She's oh, Maria Uspinskaya, yeah. yeah. And you think about all these great actors, and the whole production was like 70 minutes. And you've got all these great actors doing, you know, their scenes, wonderful, you know, each one made a memorable impression within a 70-minute movie. And it worked. It didn't need and to be worked. an hour and a half. It didn't need to be two hours. It need to... Did you ever see the remake with... Um, Anthony Hopkins, and I think it was Benicio Del Toro. 
Is that his name? I did actually. You know what? I don't generally like the remakes they do of movies like that, but that one I was okay with. I mean, there were some elements of it I thought were kind of ridiculous, but I thought it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as I kind of was thinking it might be. Yeah, I thought the same thing, but. To me, 1941, they rocked. They did really well. Was that 41 or 40? I'm sorry. Was it 40? Uh, I have The Body Snatcher, which is my all-time number one favorite horror movie. I know you love that, so tell everybody why. I love that film. I can watch it. I can watch it endlessly. I don't know how many times it's played on TV up here on various channels we get. But if I can, I, I will certainly tune in because it's just an amazing movie that's got... To me, everything works for it. Uh, you've got the incredible acting duel between Karloff and Henry Danielle, which is just like so watchable. The whole story with uh, Karloff's character in the opening scene when you see him as the coach driver, Gray, and he stops off in front of Dr. McFarling's house, McFarling's house, pardon me, and he helps the little girl off. The little crippled girl and says, Would you like to pet my horse? And he comes across like such a sweet guy. He does. And then. It, he sees McFarlane's housekeeper slash wife, and the look he gives her, right away you know uh, there's something more to this character than the nice uh, cabman he is, comes across as initially. And it's just an amazing performance. It's, it's a role for which I really think Karloff certainly should have gotten a, a, an Oscar nomination. He was great, and, and Bella was in it as well, and... Like you said, that one scene with him at the end was very good. But, of course, Bella plays Igor. <laughs> Again, Igor, like the son of Frankenstein, he's Igor. All these people are Igors. And, you know, it wasn't really a showcase for him, that's for sure. But as we said before, Henry Danielle is a wonderful actor. I have never seen him play a rotten part. Toddy, they call him. And it's pretty much, a, you know, body snatchers. Yeah. So... Um, it's creepy, and the acting is really, really good. Very good. And I love that cute little guy. What's his name? He was in the ghost ship as well. What's his name? He's so cute. Russell Wade. Love him. And he's wearing his tartan scarf and his little cap and a wee one. And it, it's just really good, and it mentions a true thing, Burke and Hare. Want to tell him that story? Ew, it's a horrible story, but want to tell him? Burke and Hare? Oh, Burke and Hare, yeah. They were they were later uh, featured more prominently in the movie The Flesh and the Fiends with Peter Cushing, which is actually a more true-to-the-facts story of Dr. Robert Knox and the Grave Robbers than The Body Snatcher, which is actually based on the Robert Louis Stevenson story. Not really, and to, to call actually not at all true to the real facts of what went on with the, those two Grave Robber murderers. But, uh, you know, yeah, The Body Snatcher is such a great film. And again, when you think about it, it's not really a horror no. film as such mm-hmm. until, until the ending. Right. The oh, that's ending, creepy. That's good. Then you good. go into horror there yeah. at the end, the that's final really scene. That's really good, yeah. Which is really creepy. I mean, you build up to that final scene, and then you see, you know, which again, you won't give away for those who haven't seen the film. But those final moments, yeah, they, they get, they're pretty horrific. They are, and it's really good. And like you said, it's well acted, and you don't get bored. It's really... It's really good. It's so sad for that woman because she's from uh, the Highlands. She's basically what I guess we would call a peasant kind of chick. And so this guy married her or he's in love with her, but he's ashamed he won't come out in public with her. And she's she poses as his maid. Well, he's a very tortured character. And, yes, and, and, you know, that's true. In that sense, he is. And, of course, he's being blackmailed by Karloff's character. 
So yeah, he's a tortured man, definitely. But so he's not a villain as such. I never looked at uh, Dr. McFarland as being a villain. Me either. You know, he was a, a victim of circumstance. And it's very unfortunate what happened to him. And he had to do what he did. He tried to give uh, Karloff a chance to get off his back. Karloff said, you know, no, I'm not going to do it because as long as you're under my thumb, I feel I am somebody. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a sick pride that he projects there. And finally, he's kind of given poor McFarland no chance but to do what he has to do to him. Right. And I I really love it. And, of course, it's Val Luton and Jacques Tourneau. And they did so many great ones. Um, I was going to bring up the cat people, but everybody knows that only for the fact that that was the first Valutin Tourneau kind of thing. Cat people's fascinating, but I think we've talked about it again. I'm going to change it up on you for 40s and do Isle of the Dead, which... Ah, another Valutin production. Right. I was thinking, you know, I've talked about I Walked with a Zombie before as well, because I did thing on Tom Conway <laughs> recently. But I love that movie, and it has... It's the plague. They're isolated. There's this old peasant woman who thinks this young girl is the Vavalica, who is this, like, demon woman. And also buried, you know, premature burial, being buried alive. And it's just really good. And Boris is, like, an authority guy. He He's doing it. And he he really has people's best interests at heart. But he's a hard butt dude, and he's starting to believe in the Vivalica. And it's it's just really, you know, the plague, ouch, and all that stuff. It's fascinating, and it's fun, and I like it. And But being buried alive ain't. So I, I, would, remac- I would really recommend that film, because it's good, I think. Yeah, it's another film with the body snatcher that's not... Outside of a couple of scenes, like in The Body Snatcher, the ending, of course, and in uh, I Love the Dead, there's a scene with the which he's buried alive, and the cap, you know, the, when the camera slowly pans in, and all of a sudden you hear the scream. They're, they're, so they're not overtly horrific. The whole thing is just a creepy atmosphere. Then they throw you a couple jolts to kind of remind you, oh yeah, this is scary stuff. Yeah, it is. It's very frightening. I think so many people, you know, I've read stories of people. I get, you know, they don't get embalmed, and they're alive before they get buried. And when they wake up, they're terrified, and then they die of a heart attack. But yeah, you know, I think it's a lot of people's fear, premature uh, burial, Poe, and, you know, make sure I'm dead. <laughs> please, please do what you will after me, remake me, but make sure I am croaked. <laughs> well, you know, you hear these stories even today in some of these third world countries that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they were preparing to put someone in the ground, then that person suddenly awakens. And thank God they get them before they get, uh, you know, six feet of dirt put on top of them, but what about those people who actually have, and there have been survey cases where people, I think that was probably one of the starts of the whole thought about vampires and such, was, you know, that uh, people were buried alive because they didn't have the means to actually prove conclusively that the body was gone, was dead. Yeah, and it, it's pretty scary, really scary. Can you only imagine that? That's such a, and she had, what she have? She had catatonic, uh, yeah, one of the uh, was that, yeah. yeah, she was terrified of that, and she even mentioned it to the doctor. But of course, the doctor passes away from the plague. So that yeah, it's just it's just you know it's it's a very underrated movie. I think, but so. it's one I think anybody who enjoys a good uh, atmospheric creepy horror story should really check out Isle of the Dead. I agree, good it, choice. It's a goodie. And now my second choice is not a horror movie, 
I watched it a bunch of times, but haven't seen it in a couple of years. I watched it the other night. It's a chilly night, so I have my blankets and my feety pajamas, and I'm drinking a glass of wine, and I'm watching this movie, which, talk about atmospheric, The Spiral Staircase. And it has Dorothy McGuire, Dorothy McGuire, right? Yes. That's great. Mm -hmm. Dorothy McGuire as a mute who is mute because of trauma. She, as a kid, came home from school, and her parents were in a fire. They couldn't come out, and she saw them burn to death. So that traumatized her so much she couldn't speak. So they're in this really creepy sort of Victorian kind of house in Massachusetts. And a maniac's going around killing women who have some sort of handicap, hence her being mute or limp, lame, or, you know, something that people say they're imperfect because this is what the, the murderer thinks. And this house, it's this dark, stormy night. And it, it it just is really good. I it is to me scary, and like I said, I've seen it before. But man, I was still shaking in my boots, and I was glad I had a glass of wine and the blankets over me. It is a dark and stormy night. Great characters. Um, Elsa Lanchester's in it as the drunk. They love her. The uh, the dog is so cute. The guy. His name. He's been in so many movies. The guy who played her husband. You know, I'm going to have to be honest with you. It's been so long since I've seen that film. I really, honestly, cannot remember much about it. I'm going to have to check it out again. That's that's one movie I'm kind of a little bit in the dark over that yeah, we're discussing. But it's really good. And for me, yeah, I kind of, like I knew who the murderer was pretty darn fast, but it still was good. And you know, the first time I saw it, I'm like, this is it the person but then it builds up suspense and like i said dark stormy night isolation and uh ethel barrymore's in it and she's trying to protect her the wooden very handsome dash riprock i call him sort of uh what's his name ken smith and he's handsome but he he's kind of a stiff he's in cat people as well but um you know he's not a great is that actor ken, is, that, is that ken smith yes ken smith oh, mm-hmm. okay okay yeah and he's like that He's not the best actor. He's kind of a stiff, but he works for the film. But they have some really good acting in it. Um, Rhonda Fleming, who is absolutely, unbelievably gorgeous, is in this film. Just really good. Atmospherics, thunder, lightning, trapped like rats. Very good. Very, very good film. I'm going to check that out again. Like I say, it's been years since I've seen it, so my memories of that film aren't aren't too strong. But, uh, yeah, that's one I... I think that was directed by Robert C. Odmack. It was. Who, of course, did uh, Son of Dracula some years earlier Mm -hmm. and uh, was going to go on to make a film like The Killers with Burt Lancaster and that. I believe he was the director of that. That's that's as far as I can uh, remember with that movie. But, yeah, it's certainly something I do want to check out. So I appreciate the binder. Do it. Um, you can get it on YouTube. I would link it, but the minute I link it, they they just just take it out for some reason. Mm. No, they do, and I see because I see other people linking things to YouTube, and then says this video is no longer available. Check it out on YouTube. You can get it. You get it mm. in its entirety. It's also a good quality, and it's free. No commercials. Check it out. It is good. A goodie. 
Okay, that's a great recommendation there, and I, I myself am going to uh, definitely take a look at that because uh, it sounds like a, like I say, a movie I can't remember, but it sounds like one I should definitely revisit. Check so, it yes. out; it is a good movie, and like for me, oh, Thunder and Lightning, ooh, the one I love that stuff. So it's, okay. I'm a scaredy cat. I love that movie, and it scares me more than you know the monster films and things like that. Because it's real, deranged madman, you know, a maniac on the loose. So it's really good. Highly I wonder if that film inspired the Alfred Hitchcock episode, The Empty Window, or The Open Window, that was one of the most Oh, that was episodes. really good about the nurses? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good film. You know what that's you and I have one. to do? We have to do a show, a show on scary television episodes. Because I'll tell you, there have been some really frightening things on TV that a lot of people, uh, you know, overlook. And, um, yeah, they would be they would be worth uh, worth doing a show on. Yeah. I have but s- I think, you know, when you, when you were talking about uh, Spiral Staircase, for some reason I was flashing back to that Alfred Hitchcock Hour episode, The Open Window with the Nurses. And, yeah, that was that was that was a scary one. It was really, really good. And there's so many. It's an Alfred Hitchcock hour. There's so many good ones on that one with William, The Hungry Glass. Did you ever see that one with Ellie Mae Clampett? William. That wasn't uh, that Thriller. Was that's that was, right. Uh, Boris Karloff's Thriller. They had some good that stuff had, on that, that as well. That had some good, scary episodes on there for sure. That's why we, we should really do that uh, particular I would love show to. on. Uh, on TV show, TV movies, and the TV programs that had really good, scary, memorable episodes. I want to give a whole, totally helpful hint to everybody. If you're on YouTube, Google 70s Movies of the Week. And ABC had all these movies of the week. They had so many scary ones. Barbara Stanwyck's in them. She did quite a few. Um, Olivia de Havilland had one as well. And Betty Davis, and and they're just good. Even if you don't have really a well-known, well-known person in it, they're creepy. The wind, and it's good. So I check those out on YouTube because there's so many good ones. Really good, I think. Oh, definitely. Uh, I don't want to go off topic, but uh, definitely one I would check out is, um, I believe it's called Dead of Night. And uh, watch the episode Bobby. Uh, which, which was written by my favorite horror writer, Richard Matheson. That one is scary. It's very, very scary. And I remember watching that when I was oh, a teenager, I guess, and it was on The Late Show. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a multi-episode uh, 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 movie there. And the first two episodes are pretty pathetic. And I was going to go to bed. I thought, oh, Saturday night, I don't want to watch this anymore. But I stayed up to watch the third episode, which was Bobby. And boy, I'll tell you something. I didn't want to go to bed after I saw that one. That was a good. And that's one. all I'm going to say. You're so good. But we should do a show on TV, uh, TV horror stories, and uh, I'll certainly go into more detail about that. They're really good. There's a bunch of really goodies. So let's go to the fifties. To you, Stone. Well, as we know, the fifties classic horror pretty much uh, went away after uh, I, I would say, I guess, happening Costello meets Frankenstein in '48, and with the uh, end of the war and the uh, dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima, Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki, they went into the re- radioactive monster start. And the best of those films would be the film Them which is, I just saw actually yesterday on television, it was on TTM, and the best of the giant bug movies, uh, with uh, just, uh, it, it, it's constructed like a mystery, uh, but then you bring the horrors, uh, and it's a horror, sci- horror sci-fi, I guess you'd say, with uh, a very unexpected ending, which I don't want to give away again, but if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And I love the you know, magnifying glass ants. 
they love all that stuff. To me, it's more real than, you know, these CGI stuff. And it's true. You know, mostly it just went into sci-fi horror in the 50s because of the bomb. And it is a good film. It just freaks me out when I see, like, my Santa Claus, Fred Gwynn and something other than that, along with the guy who played um, the cutie pie that played um, Clarence the Angel and. It's a Wonderful Life. I, when I see him on something else, I'm like, hey. I remember when I first saw him on something else, I was outraged. Outraged, I tell you. Do you have a numero dos for the 50s? Uh, I, would, I would say The Curse of Frankenstein, uh, the, which was, I, again, so, much, so many of his early films in the 50s are based on sci-fi, alien invasions, things like that. And Hammer Films, which had been around since the 30s, I uh, decided they want to remake the classic horror movies, you know, period pieces. And they did The Curse of Frankenstein, which made stars out of two people I was blessed to, to personally know, Peter Cushing and uh, Christopher Lee. And they pretty much brought the horror genre, the classic horror genre back, however, with a big difference in technicolor and with uh, pretty gruesome effects for the time, which apparently horrified audiences who were not used to seeing such graphic presentation. But it's a wonderful film, and it started the whole... And I'm very uh, very particular, I'm very uh, passionate about horror, Hammer Horror films because I grew up with them, you know, as a kid in the 60s. Pretty much saw everyone that came out, and uh, that, was a, that was the one that started it all. That led to the horror of Dracula, The Mummy, uh, various remakes of the Universal Classics moving into the 60s with films like The Gorgon, uh, The Reptile, League of the Zombies. And that was the one that started it all and brought back the classic horror that was pretty much losing out at that point because of the sci-fi uh, alien invasion type films that kind of took over in the 50s. What's the one with Medusa, the Medusa thing? The Gorgon. Oh, that's I love that one. That's really good. And that's got Peter and uh, Christopher in it. Yes. Uh, you know, the Lugosi and Lee of uh, the later years. And, yeah, that's, it's a great film. Again, atmospheric, uh, you know, nice color, uh, just, just good scripts, I thought. I mean, Hammer, of course, eventually kind of went down the toilet, you know, in the 70s and, and uh, eventually went pretty much out of business for, you know, the classic ones from that era. So, But at the time, yeah, they, they and uh, American International Pictures, which did the uh, Vincent Price, uh, Edgar Allan Poe movies, kind of kept the classic elements in horror still on the screen during that time. Yeah, and they were really good. And that brings me to something that also started the horror genre. This is, uh, it's not like scary, but I think it's important just for the fact that that beloved Vincent Price, (laughs) I think it's his first starring role in the horror genre, and that's the Wax Museum. Well, that was actually uh, not his first, because he actually, early in his career in 1940, shortly after, uh, you know, he became an actor uh, in in films, he did uh, Tower of London, which uh, could be considered a horror film. He got Basil Rathbone and uh, Boris Karloff as board the executioner, and then uh, Vincent Price was in The Invisible Man Returns. And he provided the voice of the Invisible Man at the end of Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. But I, 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 I agree with you. I think as far as this first true all-out horror movie, yeah, House of Wax. As a star, the House of Wax. And yeah. I just saw the mystery of the Wax Museum, and that was Lionel Atwill in that. But it's a good story. I actually like both of them, and they're very similar 
but I love this because of Vincent Price. I love Vincent Price. He's the cutest little imp ever. And he, he just, <laughs> he is, he just rocked it. You know, he took it, he accepted it. And it's, it's a fun film. And really it's a horrifying film. Charles Bronson is in it as, guess who? Igor. <laughs> Igor, poor Igor. Like I said, another Igor. I think he, is, isn't he, wasn't he supposed to be someone who's electrocuted and came back to life? Uh, well, they, um, I, was, I think it was the killer's name, Ed, Ed, Edward, Edgar, or Edward Kemp, Kemper or something, and they used uh, 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 Igor's uh, face and that to, 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 you know, to to be the uh, exhibit part, but uh, no, he wasn't, no, he was, he was, he was a, just a regular helper for Vincent Price's character. But he did have an awful pasty complexion. He need Igor needed some sun and vitamin D, baby. <laughs> Get some sun on that pasty face. That's why I thought it was him. Um, but it was, I don't know if that was his first film, but that was my Igor. That, and I never got Charles Bronson until I got older. I'm like, hmm, he was a kind of cutie, nice full lips. And I kind of growled at him. I thought he was kind of a hunk of hunk of burn in love, but that's a good <laughs> movie I did, I have to say. And that movie was good. And, and Carolyn Jones, who played Morticia Adams in The Adams Family, she plays a victim, and then she becomes a Joan of Arc in the Wax Museum. And she's adorable in this. Did you know she was married to Aaron Spelling? That's right. They were married. That's right. Yeah. Yep. One thing, mm-hmm. I love Carolyn Jones. The only thing that always, I get distracted by plastic surgery, people with lip injections, things like that. Because I'm looking, man, why'd you do that to your lips? I can see the injection sites. She got, you know, that really bad nose job, like Barbara Eden, teeny, like almost no nose job. Nanette Fabray, like, where's your nose job? <laughs> your nose went away job. So that distracts me, but she's adorable. And, you know, they aren't they doing remakes? You can watch the original Adams Family, maybe on Cozy or at some of those other antenna TVs and things like that. And you can't beat them. And but, don't forget, Carolyn Jones also was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, You're I just, love that film, too. That is one of my favorites. That's in a classic, too. Yeah, yeah. Becoming um, just... Pod people, no feelings, no emotion, and the paranoia, and all of that happening, and who's who. And it's just a really good movie. I love it. I love the pod. I actually think the pod thing is really good, where they have you the know people that they were, in that. Uh, the, the film initially was not going to have the beginning and ending that it has right now, the uh, prologue and epilogue, as it were. The film was supposed to end on the note with him just running down the street, Kevin McCarthy saying, you're next, and all of a sudden pointing at the... <laughs> At the, pointing at the audience on camera and going, you're next. Then there was supposed to be a freeze frame, and that was how the movie was going to end. But they thought it was too downbeat, so they added that opening scene with Whit Cassell and uh, Richard Deacon. And, and uh, I, I kind of wish that somebody would release on DVD the original version without the ep- uh, prologue and epilogue, because I think that's so effective. But again, they just didn't want to end the movie on a, such a negative note. Yeah, hopeful. And at first, when he's talking, they think he's out of his mind. They think he's to- Mr. Insanity, put him in the straitjacket kind of guy, and then they see that it's not. But I agree, that would be fun to watch, because I love that. I love that ending. But, you know, they they should release it with both, so you can see that 
and the flip side of the ending. And yeah, they could do you know they could do you know uh, the way it was originally intended. It'd just be a matter of excising the prologue and epilogue, and then have the the way it was shown, depending how you want to watch it. For me, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a I don't want to be a downer person, but I just think it would have been really effective just to end the movie with him pointing at the camera and saying, "You're next." Yeah, he was really good cool. in that film. I thought he was really good, Kevin McCarthy, and I like the film. I you know it's a classic. It's a wonderful film, and. I guess we're going to make our way into the 60s. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown. They're not only good, they're true. 